Man, what another incredible display of living life on mission. Uh, that happened last Saturday when our church and Serve International got together to pass out, uh, I think, almost, almost over 300 boxes of food, uh, which is really so incredible when you think about it. And our church, man, you just have been so incredibly faithful and generous during this time to not only uh, be a part of just staying connected to the church, but also giving food uh, weekly. The bins at both locations continue to be filled up as we're continuing to meet needs within our community because we are really in uh, unprecedented times. And that's one of the biggest reasons why we're continuing to do church online. Hopefully you've again uh, been getting uh, you know, communication from us via email, watching on social media. Uh, but we just sent it out this week that services are going to be online for the entire month of April. And as our president gave us the guidelines through April 30th to continue social distancing and the limits on gathering together. And so we're going to continue online, which has honestly been incredible in a lot of ways. Uh, we have really had the opportunity to reach so many people and people still trusting Christ with our church and, and really the global church. Uh, in fact, a few weekends ago, uh, when we really the first big weekend that when this really kind of took hold and everybody started canceling service. Over 11,000 churches, new churches, got onto the church online platform that we use, and over 28,000 people trusted Christ that weekend. And so, even in these unprecedented times where we're having to really live life in a completely different way than we've ever done before, God is still moving and working in unique ways. And so, we're so incredibly grateful for Him and so incredibly grateful for you. And so, as we continue to go throughout this season for the next, you know, foreseeable future and the next several weeks and this month, uh, make sure you're staying connected with us as, as a church because we want to know uh, how you're doing, how we can pray for you. Uh, you know, we're prepared. And, and as a church doing everything that we can uh, to really meet the needs of our church and really meet the needs of our community. And so make sure you're staying connected and then make sure you're staying uh, with us as we continue to update you. We're doing online devotionals um, every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, and then obviously we've got Easter online this year as well. And so really, really bummed about that, uh, but also excited at the same time about the opportunity that we have to reach more people with the gospel. Uh, and speaking of those online devotionals, make sure you tune in on uh, Good Friday. That noon, we'll have a special noon Good Friday service and then have some really amazing resources available that I'm honestly really excited about for your family for the Easter weekend. And so we'll be talking more about that this week as a church as well. So again, make sure you're staying up to date with everything going on in our church. We're gonna continue preaching through Romans. And so we're gonna be in Romans chapter 14, verses one through 12. Uh, and what's really kind of cool, really every message that we've done so far in the book of Romans, they have really applied very, very well to the season that we're in. Last week, we talked about you know, capturing the moments within the minutes that God has given us. And, and this is definitely a unique moment in the life of the history of humanity. And as believers, we wanna capture that. And this week in Romans chapter 14, verses one through 12, really gets into dealing with relationships and how we as Christians uh, have to learn how to live with each other. And again, I think it's so so appropriate for this season that we're in with this lockdown and quarantine and being at home, uh, you know, relationships, all those kinds of things. Everything just gets heightened during this time. And so I think this will be a good word for us this week to really understand how all of us need grace and how all of us need to give grace to each other. And so as always, pray with me before we jump into the message and then we'll dig into Romans chapter 14. All right, let's pray. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace in our life. And God, again, thank you as we have talked uh, each day in our online devotional time through the Psalms that, that you are God. And God, I can't imagine going through this season without the hope that we have that you're working all things together for good. That death doesn't scare us, God, because you beat death. In fact, as we celebrate Easter next weekend, that is what we are celebrating. And so, God, I pray as we open up your word today that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us and, and through the amazing opportunity that we have in technology to still gather together as the church. God, I pray that through your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak and that we, we would listen. You would give us ears to listen, God, and eyes to see what you are saying to us. God, thank you how applicable your word is even thousands of years later. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 14, gonna start in verse one, like I said, and that's really gonna kind of set the, the table, if you will, for the, this entire section. And it's continuing, obviously, from Romans chapter 13, when we talked about last week, again, capturing this moment, putting on Christ. So Romans chapter 14, verse one, it says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Again, you can see right there that during this unique season of quarantine and lockdown and, and, and you know, really, even though we're social distancing from everybody or trying to do our best to do that, that even in our homes and relationships and families, uh, emotions and, and relationships and quarreling can be at an all-time high. And so I think this verse is really, like I said, applicable for where we are at this time. And what Paul is getting at here, again, remember, this is in response to chapters one through 11, talking about the grace of God and now how we as Christians live in light of that mercy. That's what chapter 12 is about. Chapter 13, how we live as citizens. Now we're talking about how do we live as Christians, how we interact with one another. And Paul says this first thing, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith. Now, this word weak, again, it's not a, a value statement. We have to be careful uh, uh, sometimes when we just take a word from one language into another language because it might mean something to us. But he's going to use this word here, weak, a couple times, and he's going to apply it to specific things. And what he's getting at here is not that one Christian is better than another or stronger than another in a sense that like, this person's really strong, this person's really weak, or this person's really good, and this person's really not. The idea of weakness here is, I think one of the better ways to think about it is in the sense of like, if somebody's new to their faith, when somebody's new to their faith, they have trusted Christ, right? They've trusted Christ for their salvation, but they're new to applying the gospel to themselves. They're new to getting that faith worked into every part of their lives. And so when it talks about here weakness, again, it's not making a value statement that this person is somehow less than. It's going to get into the, the, some specific practices and it's going to use some specific examples about how the Christian lives their life out. And again, to be honest, a lot of times it's so much easier just to trust Christ for salvation and it's so much harder to actually work that salvation into us. So it's easy to trust Christ, but, but it's harder to get Christ, to put on Christ in us. And again, that's the way how we closed out last week, chapter 13. And this week, in this idea of like, I want to work Christ into me. And as I'm working Christ into me, as he's saving me, as we talked about last week, then how I respond to other people whose faith maybe isn't as mature as mine. 
Again, if you think about this in terms of physical development, you know, I think as Christians in a spiritual development sense, we can forget that in the same way spiritually we develop as we do physically. You know, when a baby is born, that baby is no less valuable than someone who is older, but they are just weaker in the sense that they are so new to, to life and circumstances. They need protection. They need somebody to care for them. And this is the kind of same idea that Paul's talking about here when it comes to Christians interacting with each other. He says, listen, there are some that are newer to this, that are more vulnerable to this. And there's an obligation. We'll get into this when we get into chapter 15 and the rest of 14 and 15 as well, that, that we need to welcome those that are weak. Now, one of the things I love about Revolution Church, again, there's a lot of things that I love, but I love that we call our teams at our campuses our welcome teams when they are welcoming people into our church. You know, every weekend we have new visitors. Every weekend we have what we call first-time guests. Even online, we've still had quite a few first-time guests, quite a few first-time givers, even during this season. And we're doing still everything that we can to have a welcoming culture to those that are new. Because again, so often we can forget the longer that we've been in church, what it's like to be new at a new place or a new group of people. When it comes to the church, we always want to have this posture towards everyone that we are welcoming. And that's really the idea that Paul's getting at here. It's like as the church, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, your default attitude to anyone should be one of welcoming, one of openness, not one of distance, not one of, and I love how he says this here, quarreling over opinions. Again, let's stop and think about that for a second. Is there a better phrase really to describe a lot of times the mantra, if you will, that people have about Christians? I mean, is the mantra that people have about Christians that we are so loving, we're so welcoming, or is the mantra a lot of time that people have about Christians that we really quarrel a lot over opinions. In fact, I've been a you know, believer now for three decades. And, and when I stop and think about that, there's a lot of people that I know that have been walking with Christ for long periods of time and they haven't become more loving people. They've just become more opinionated people. They haven't become more welcoming people. They just become more, you know, a lot of times what can happen is more judgmental people. And this is one of the things that, that I didn't hit on a lot last week just because we had a lot to cover, but I just want to point out at the end of Romans chapter 13, when he was talking about walking a, wor a manner worthy, walk properly as in the daytime, he includes in that list, along with sexual sins, jealousy and quarreling. I want you to think about that. Jealousy and quarreling. If you had to talk about the deeds of darkness, would you put those two in the list? If you had to talk about living properly in the daytime, would you include into the list having this welcoming attitude? I love how Paul puts this on the same level and says, listen, this is just as serious as any other sin that you would think is serious. And that's the problem with us as Christians a lot of times is we grade sins. And again, we're really good a lot of times at grading the culture sins around us. And I'm not saying they're not sins. What I'm saying is we just have to be so careful not to categorize them and think, oh, this one is worse than this one when it comes to we are all even when it comes to needing grace. We're all even. 
And so Paul really sets up this whole section here to say, listen, we should have this default attitude when it comes to how we interact with one another, that we are welcoming, we are loving, and we don't have this attitude of we just like to quarrel. We just quarrel over opinions. And again, think about that as you're stuck at home and you're self-isolating and you're, you know, you're sheltering in place. What a great word for us to remember that this is not the time to quarrel over a bunch of opinions. This is a time for us to be welcoming of one another. This is the time for us to be welcoming to those in our families. This is the time for us to be welcoming, you know, as appropriately as we can within the guidelines to our neighbors, not to get in quarrels over opinions that at the end of the day aren't essential. And that's really the key of what Paul's getting at here. In fact, look at some of the specific examples he uses. And it might sound funny to you, but I'll explain it. Look at verse two and three. He says, one person believes that he may eat anything. That person would be me. While the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who, dis, uh, who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Now, again, you take this into our 21st century context. This is not the Bible making a health a statement here or the Bible saying that, you know, if you just eat only vegetables that you are somehow going to end up being a physically weak person. That is not what the Bible is saying at all. In fact, there's a ton of evidence, even biblically speaking, that obviously it's very healthy to eat vegetables. And so nobody would, would argue with that. But here's what Paul's getting at. Again, Paul is using this as an example to say that there are Christians who take certain things and make them artificial markers of spiritual maturity. There, there are, there are, and I love how my, one of my mentors and, and pastors who really helps me process a lot of things, Larry Osborne wrote a book called Accidental Pharisees. And he talks about how so many of us over time can become accidental Pharisees, just like the Pharisees were with Jesus, where our default attitude is just a quarrel over all these things that at the end of the day aren't essential. And, and theologically speaking, what a lot of theologians and pastors have really used to kind of help us know differences is the difference between open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Open-handed issues and closed-handed issues. Again, I've referenced this before if you've been around, but closed-handed issues are things that we agree on as Christians that are essential. That would be the Trinity. That would be, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That would be the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the only way to salvation. God as creator. You know, I mean, there's so many essential things that we would call, those are closed-handed issues. And if you don't believe those, then, then you're not a believer because those are essential to believing. But then there are things that we call open-handed issues. That those are more preferences. They're, they're not essentials. They are non-essentials. And so how most theologians have described this is we have unity in, in this one. We agree about this. And we have charity in this one. We have unity about what is close-handed. And we have charity when it comes to open-handed issues. What that means is this. We have to be so careful as Christians that we don't take open-handed issues. And he's going to give some specific examples here. One is about what we eat. And we make that somehow like it's an essential issue. 
that we make this somehow, we elevate this to the level of saying, this is on the same level. If you're not a Christian, if you don't believe this, or if you don't behave in this unique, specific way. And again, what happens, unfortunately, a lot of times in churches is churches start piling into for this open-handed issue into these closed-handed issues because they have traditions. They have things that has always been done this way. And they, and they start gravitating over to this side and, and anything that's different than what they've experienced, they automatically have this kind of default judgment attitude. And again, this is where I think following Christ, especially in the community, the family of God, becomes so difficult because it's hard for us to fathom that other people have had different experiences than what we've had in our journey with Christ. And if we're not careful, we can become so judgmental to those who are just different from us. They're not unsaved, they're saved, but because of some of the things that we do, we might automatically think they're not saved. And so Paul, I love that he's going to spend a whole, in fact, almost two chapters, a chapter and a half here, chapter 14 and 15, dealing with as Christians, hey, you need to understand something. You, the thing that we should agree on is that we should be welcoming to one another because God has been welcoming to us. And we shouldn't spend all of our time quarreling over opinions that at the end of the day don't really matter. And I love how he says this phrase. He says, for God has welcomed him. The idea here simply is this. How can we reject somebody that God is welcoming? How can our heart reject other people that God wants to welcome in simply because they don't look like us? They don't talk like us. They don't have the same music choices and styles as us. They don't have the same preferences as us. And so what we have to understand is the greatest principle that we can see as Christians is, again, so we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, love your neighbor as yourself, not love your preferences. Love the person more than you love those preferences. He goes on, look at verse four. I love how he says this. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Man, I, I could do a whole sermon just on that section right there. He says, first and foremost, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Now, the servant of another that he's talking about here is your fellow brother and sister in Christ, who is a servant, not of you, but of God, has a Lord, and it's not you. It's Jesus. And here's what is so dangerous. In fact, I'm going to give you this point and then we'll unpack it. Here's what's so dangerous as Christians. When we start to take this judgmental attitudes towards other people, we are actually taking the place of Jesus. In fact, if you want to write this down, here's my point. One of the big takeaways for today. When we take the place of judgment, we take the place of Jesus. When we take the place of judgment, we take the place of Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times, again, I didn't grow up in church, but I started going to church when I was a teenager. And I can't tell you how many times the default position towards a lot of Christians, in fact, I would say the majority of Christians that I've had interactions with over these several decades is one of judgmentalness, not one of Jesus. And here's where we have to be so careful. When we start taking this position of I'm judging, 
that I am taking the position of Jesus. I'm acting, you're acting as though those people belong to us, that we have the right to command those people. Now, again, there's nuances to everything. What we're talking about here is not going light on sinful things. When the Bible has given us clear boundaries for sin, when the Bible has told us this is a sin and you should not practice this, you should flee from this. This is part of what we discussed even last week and Paul gives these lists all over the place. When we're talking about specific sins, I'm not saying that we can't judge whether or not those are sinful or those are right because honestly, we're not making the judgment call on that. The Bible is. This is why sometimes when I tell people, here's what the Bible says, and they get mad. Don't get mad at me. The Bible made this judgment. Jesus made this judgment. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But even in those circumstances, we have to be so careful that we don't tell everybody else about that person's sin, but we have a conversation with that person. This is why Jesus gives us those instructions in Matthew chapter 18. In fact, when you join our church, we, in fact, we want you to join our church. We would still love you to become a part of our church if you're thinking about that or praying about that during this time. When you join our church, you sign what we call a stewardship covenant. And when you do that, it's in there that one of the expectations that we have of you is that you're gonna follow what Jesus laid out in Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus very clearly says in Matthew chapter 18, when a brother sins against you or when they sin, go to that person one-on-one you and them alone and have a conversation. Because again, remember, you're not trying to be right. You're not just trying to win. You're trying to win the person. Then he says, if that doesn't go well, then get somebody else and go with you. And if that doesn't go well, then bring it to the church. And then if that doesn't go well, treat them as a tax collector and a sinner, which means basically you're saying, you now have chosen because of your choice to go outside the bounds of the Bible to disassociate from the fellowship. But... How did Christ tell us to love our enemies? He said to love our enemies as ourselves. So in Matthew 18, there's never any excuse to treat them poorly or never any excuse to be loving. In fact, one of my, again, things that, one of the verses that get misquoted all the time is in this section of Matthew 18, when Jesus says, when two or more gather, there I am also. That's in this context, because what he's getting at here is, listen, I'm in the process of reckoning, right? relational reconciliation. And so when we're talking about sins, like things that the Bible calls as sins, still our attitude towards those people that are sinning is not one of we have this judgmental attitude as though we would never do something as despicable as what they're doing. We would never act like that. And then you start having a conversation with everybody else about that person. That's where quarreling and jealousy and all those relational things, gossip becomes so destructive within families and within the church family. And so what I want you to understand here is when we are dealing with specifically non-essential things, things that the Bible says aren't sinful, and we're gonna get into this next week as well, the things that we eat, the things that we drink, what days we consider holy. Those things are not essential. And so especially in those things, we can't take this attitude of judgmentalness towards the other person. Why? Because they're not our servant. They're the Lord's servant. And, and there's one thing I wanna point out here that I think is so, in fact, I think it's so necessary for us in this time. It says, their master will determine whether they stand or fall. And they'll stand, they'll endure because the Lord is able 
to make them stand. Here's what's so important. The reason why it's not right for us to take the judgment place of Jesus a lot of times is because our attitude towards people is we want them to fall. We want them to fall. We don't want them to stand. We're passing judgment on them because we want them to fall. We want their sins pointed out. We want everybody to know that they're not as good as us. And again, this is why it's so important, especially during this time of this really weird relational weirdness that we're in right now. Our default position towards our family, our default position towards everybody, Paul says here, but, but, but especially those of the faith is to be one of realizing God wants them to succeed. God wants the best for them. He wants them to stand. He wants them to endure. He doesn't want them to fall. And one of the, I think the most wicked things about how a lot of churches operate is this judgmental attitude is based upon this desire for people to actually fall. And man, that's wicked. That is evil. That is not from the Lord. But the good news for those of us that are struggling during this time the Lord is able. The Lord is able to make you stand. That's the best thing about Christianity. The best thing about following Jesus is this whole thing is not built upon my ability to do something for him. It's built upon his ability to do something for me. He's my Lord. He's my master. He's my savior. He is the one who is able to get us through. He is the one. I love how he says this here. He is the one who is able to, uh, he says, we will be upheld he is the one who is able to hold us up, especially during these times of crisis. And so our attitude should be that of Christ, where Christ wants to uphold people. Christ wants to help people stand. And when we take this judgmental attitude towards them, then we're not following in the steps of Jesus. Let's continue on verse five. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Amen. Since he gives thanks to God. That is why we pray before meals right there. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse seven, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Again, this is so important. Because within the different you know, facets of the church all over the world, there's all these different traditions. There's all these different things of how different you know, tribes do different things. Some have specific days that are holier than others. Some have specific dietary laws and rules and things like that. And what Paul's getting at here is, listen, none of those things are essential. They're not essential. But if you have a conviction... And that's how I think about when he says to be fully convinced in your own mind. If you have a conviction that this is what the Lord wants for you, then it's not sinful for you to do if you're doing it out of conviction to the Lord. If you're doing it out of honor to the Lord. And this is what is the most important principle for us to remember. It's not what you're doing or when you're doing it. It's whatever you're doing, whenever you're doing it. That's what Colossians 3.23 says. Paul says, do whatever you do as you're doing it to the Lord. And so there are traditions within the Christian faith that think that the only proper day to meet is on the Jewish Sabbath, which is sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, because that's what the rhythm was, biblically speaking. And I have gotten into conversations 
uh, I would say conversations, other people may say arguments with people over this, where people have tried to convince me that as a pastor leading a church meeting on Sunday is somehow wrong or sinful. But here's what Paul's getting at. Listen, it doesn't really matter whether it's Saturday or whether it's Sunday. Just pick a day. And whatever day you pick, do it unto the Lord. And this is the whole principle of Sabbath. In fact, this is one of the things we're going to talk about as we you know, approach this Easter season, which is why I think it's so important for you to stay connected during this time. I'm really, really excited about some, some things coming down the road here this next week as we approach Easter and some things really for your family to do while we're at home. And Sabbath is such an important principle. Sabbath is such an important principle. When we were in Israel last November, it was incredible because we flew in and we got to experience and observe a, a Sabbath taking place in Israel and seeing people actually live this out. Now everything shuts down and what families do. And it was really an amazing experience marked me. And I, I think it's important for us as New Testament believers to, to, to still practice this biblical principle of Sabbath, because this is what Jesus said. It was given for you. But what happened and what still happens today is the Pharisees got all you know, rigid and, 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 and really, really religious about this day. And Jesus even did some things that they said was not right for him to do on Sabbath. And Jesus makes this incredible point when he's saying to them, listen, the Sabbath is not here for you to keep all these rules so that you can think that God likes you better because you observed all these checkmark things. No, Sabbath is for you to enjoy. It is given to you to rest. That's the point of it. So don't make a mountain out of a molehill and misunderstand. It's not about necessarily this day or that day. And the reason why we worship on Sundays is because now it's called the Lord's Day because that's the day that Jesus resurrected, which is what we'll talk about next week in Easter. But here's this whole point. His whole point is it doesn't matter what you eat, what you drink, which day you worship on. What matters is you do whatever you do for the Lord. You're not living for yourself. What's amazing, I love this, and you guys know I like these words, when he says none of us dies to himself, none of us lives to himself. Those are in the case, uh, in, the, in the case that's called the dative. In, in Greek, what that means is it's, it's showing what you're advantaging. Um, and so the idea here is no one lives to advantage or to gain for themselves. So when you become a Christian, you're not living your life just to advantage yourself. You're not living your life just to get gain for yourself. And so the Christian interprets now everything, not everybody should be like me, but everybody should be like Christ. And I want to do everything I can to help advantage them to do that. I want to live my life as a sacrifice for them, not try to make them conform into my way of following Jesus. And again, if the church could get just that heart right there, then so many arguments that we've had in church history would have gone away. The arguments that we would have had about worship styles or how we do specific things or how certain things happen or function within a church, we could say, listen, you know what? Every new generation needs to figure out how they're going to do it. It's the same message, but different methods. And that's one of the reasons why we think it's so important to have Rev kids and Rev students because we want each generation to love Jesus and their generation. And they're going to use unique tools and unique methods and things that maybe we would look at and we'd be like, that's crazy. 
Just like doing church online. I mean, when this came out, you know, 20, 15 years ago, whenever Al Gore invented the internet, I can't remember. But whenever this came out, people were like, this is crazy, this is nuts. But aren't you so grateful now that we have this tool? I mean, doesn't this validate a lot of the technological things that we have to still continue to connect as a church? What matters is not necessarily those specific things. What matters is what is our heart position? Are we doing it to advantage others, not ourselves? Then he makes this huge point. Look at verse eight and nine. He says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now that's written in a possessive. We belong. He's our owner. He's our Lord. We belong to him. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Church, it's so amazing to me that this is the message before Easter weekend, next weekend. Because right here, in the application of how we live this out relationally with one another, you see the gospel. You see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and why that matters. Why was it so important for Jesus to die? Because we were so sinful that he had to die. Why is it so important that Jesus resurrected? Because it showed that he is Lord over even death. And since he's now alive, we can be made alive with him, as Paul says in Ephesians. And so this attitude that we have towards other people has to be informed by the gospel, has to be informed by Easter. You say, why is Easter so important? And maybe you have heard the Easter message a thousand times. Again, maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. Well, listen, if you've grown up in church your whole life, you should be the most loving person and the least judgmental person. Because you have worked the gospel into your heart better than anybody else. And so this is what Paul's getting at. He said, man, this is the whole reason. This is the whole point. This is the whole purpose of why Christ came and died and he lives again. To make us his own. And not only to make us his own, but in making us his own, he gives us his own character. He gives us his own nature. He gives us his own spirit. He makes us like himself. And how is he? He loves his enemies. He lays down his life for his friends. He didn't do anything to advantage himself. He did everything to advantage others. This is why Jesus, Paul, the entire Bible equates loving God with loving your neighbor as yourself. In fact, John says in 1 John, he says, how can you say you love God and hate your neighbor? How can you say you love God and hate your brother? If you hate your brother, you don't love God. Why? Because it shows that the gospel is not working itself into your heart. So it's so important for us to not only believe Christ, but to apply it, to behave as Christ. And so again, as we're in this unique time in human history, especially a very unique time in our lifetimes, when we are so heightened with fear, we're so heightened you know, with anxiety, we're so you know, crammed into our quarters with our family who we love very much. We need to put on Christ. We need to be reminded that there's not a single one of us that would stand before God without Jesus. We wouldn't stand before God without Jesus. And so if we can't stand before God without Jesus, then how can we take a judgmental attitude towards somebody else who couldn't stand before God without Jesus? And that's the mantra. And this is how we're going to close it out. Look at these last couple of verses here, verse 10 through 12. 
He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? That means to ridicule or look down on. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, he quotes Isaiah 45, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, listen to this. Oh, this scares me. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, when your spouse annoys you this week, if you have kids, if your kids annoy you this week, if your neighbors annoy you this week, if your government annoys you this week, if people in line, you know, as you're buying essential things annoy you this week, remember something. You can't stand before God without Jesus either. That's the only way you'll be able to stand, which goes back to verse four. He is able to make you stand. Church, listen, without Jesus, we got no shot at standing. Without Jesus, without the grace of God, this is the part, honestly, and this is where as a pastor, these seasons are, are a mix between compassion. I have huge compassion for people in our church, but I want you to hear me say this as your pastor. But I also, I get so excited about these times because it forces all of us, like we talked about last week, to wake up to wake up to the reality that all of us will stand before God. Hebrews says that we will stand before him and everything will be laid bare. I don't know about you, but that freaks me out. I know who I am. And I've read enough about the Bible to understand at least as much as I can about who God is and he is holy and so the idea that I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account, and this word here, is, is a, it means a preposition of reference. I'm going to have to give an account in reference to everything I ever said. The Bible says every word. As one theologian says, just imagine if you wore a tape recorder or some kind of recording device around your neck for your entire life and how you judged everybody else. And when you meet God, he's just going to take that off and play it back and judge you by the same standard that you judged everybody else with. That is scary. But because of Jesus, we can have faith now. We can have hope now that even in that circumstance, we can stand. Why? Because he's able to make us stand. And so church, if you've never honestly considered eternity, if all this virus and all this crazy stuff has made you step back and honestly take a, a, I really think a helpful look at yourself and your choices and your destiny and what your foundation is. If your foundation's in the government, you're sunk. If your foundation's in finances, you're sunk. If your foundation's in people, you're sunk. If it's not God, you don't have a shot. And so for those of you that have just been toying or not living your life on this foundation of the gospel, man, this is your moment to take life seriously and respond in faith and realize without Jesus, you couldn't stand, but with Jesus, you can stand. And one day when you face God, you only have one response. Amazing grace saved me. So maybe today that's your response. You're gonna come to Jesus and allow Jesus to uphold you, allow Jesus to uphold you, allow Jesus to save you and forgive you. And then for those of us who have trusted Christ, what a great reminder of the gospel, of how much we need Jesus. 
And during this season, they're in this time of high anxiety and stress. Again, not only should we not miss our moment, not only should we love our neighbor as ourselves, but we should be reminded that all of that is motivated by Easter. All of that is motivated that when Christ died on the cross, he did it for me. And if I step into a place of judgment, I am stepping into a place that's not mine. I'm stepping into Jesus's place because only Jesus was perfect. And only Jesus has the right to judge. I don't. And so I allow that to humble me. And then I allow that in the grace that God gives me in that to allow me to become a more welcoming person. What if after this virus season, our church became a more welcoming church? What if after this season, our church became a more loving church? Not only because we realize what really mattered, but we realize that without Jesus, without grace, none of us could stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this specific word, for this specific time for us. God, we all need to be reminded during this time that it's so easy to step up into a place that's not ours to take and be judgmental. Judgmental towards our government, be judgmental towards our leaders, be judgmental towards our neighbors, be judgmental towards our family. And God, I pray that this crisis wouldn't bring out the worst in us, but it would bring out the best in us. But we know that that only comes from you. That only comes from understanding the gospel. And the reality is, God, one day we will all stand before you. Every single one of us will face judgment. And the reason why we don't want to step into the place of judgment is because in the last day, we want Jesus to be in his place. We want Jesus to be the one who is judging because if we let Jesus be our judge and we trust him, then he will forgive us. But there's some listening today, God, I know that have not trusted Jesus. And maybe this whole experience has caused them to really take a look and an account of their life and honestly assess whether or not they would stand. And so God, I pray if there's anybody here today who's not trusted Jesus, that you would open their eyes, you would save them. You would help them to see that without Jesus, they will be judged. But with Jesus, he'll be judged in their place for their sin. And then they will get grace. And so if that's you, if you're listening or watching and you wanna trust Christ, then you can pray with me. You can be saved and you can have your foundation become Christ alone. And God will judge Jesus in your place and he will apply his perfection, his righteousness to you as he takes your sin. So if you wanna trust Christ, you can pray with me. You can do this out loud if you want, you don't have to, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you so much for loving me that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin to judge him. So I'm asking you to judge him, to put my sin on him and to give me his righteousness, to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Now, if that was you and you trusted Christ today, again, we wanna to celebrate with you. We wanna know, we wanna follow up with you. 
Even though we can't see you in person right now, we still want to walk with you in this journey. So please reach out to us and let us know that you trusted Christ. But then for those of us who have trusted Christ, again, as we get into this Easter week, this is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and everybody was hailing him as king. But then everybody abandoned him because they failed to understand the gospel. And so I pray that in this season that you would be reminded of the gospel, that you need grace just like everybody else. And you wouldn't take this judgmental attitude towards other people, but you would pray every day for God to give you the grace to love your spouse well, to love your kids well, to love your parents well, to love each other well, and to not allow this to, you know, you know, push you to become the worst version of yourself and you just become snappy and judgy towards everybody. But you allow this to remind you that without Jesus, you couldn't stand either. And that Christ died for them just like he died for you and to not live to just advantage yourself, but live to advantage others because you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for the cause of Christ. And that is shown, the love of Christ is shown through your love of them So often people don't know that God is welcoming them in because we haven't welcomed them in. So I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying for all of us that we would apply the gospel deeper to our hearts during this time and realize that without Jesus, none of us would stand. So let's quit taking the place of Jesus. Let's quit taking his place and being judgy towards others, but let's be loving. Father, we ask you to work the gospel into us to not only believe it that one day we will be saved, but to allow it to continue to save us now and make us into followers of Jesus and continue to mold us into the image of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.